lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And let's get to it. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin. And, of course, there's you, all of you. Thank you for joining us. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's a D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Look for Steve Dace on MeWe, Gab, and Parlor which one day hopefully will return again. Uh, you can also look for us uh, on YouTube. If you like censored clips of the program, go there to youtube.com slash Steve Dace, or you can watch them at rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. We've got a lot going on here for you today on a Thursday, bottom of the hour. So Rob Amari, he is the op-ed page editor for the New York Post. He's got a brand new best-selling book out. I know, Todd. This is a conversation, an interview about two years in the making for you. You have, you're going to fanboy here for us here in a little bit. You've been greatly looking forward to this conversation, have you not? It's the little victories, and here we are. Yeah. Yes. So, so Rob will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, Theology Thursday, a couple of viewer listener questions we're going to be tackling for Theology Thursday next hour. We'll play our little game of three non-political questions as well next hour. But before we get to all of those things, Aaron is here to give us a rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Biden Speaks. Joe Biden took questions on the myriad crises happening domestically and around the world. You guys are bad. I'm not supposed to be answering all these questions. I'm supposed to leave. But Beginning with the hack of the nation's largest oil pipeline. I think what this shows is that um, I think we have to uh, make a greater investment in education as it relates to being able to train and graduate more people proficient in cybersecurity. He also talked about the ongoing Israeli-Hamas conflict. I had a conversation with Bibi Netanyahu uh, not too long ago. I'll be putting out a statement very shortly on that. Um, my expectation and hope is that uh, uh, this will be uh, closing down sooner than later. But uh, Israel has a right to defend itself when you have thousands of rockets flying into your territory. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and Attorney General Merrick Garland testified in front of Congress yesterday about the biggest national security threat the United States faces domestically. Today, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists are the most likely to conduct mass casualty attacks against civilians and anti-government or anti-authority violent extremists, specifically militia violent extremists, are the most likely to target law enforcement, government personnel, and government facilities. Specifically, those who advocate for the superiority of the white race. 20 Republican senators voted for Merrick Garland's confirmation as attorney general, including Roy Blunt of Missouri, Richard Burr of North Carolina, Shelley Capito of West Virginia, John Cornyn of Texas, Joni Ernst and Chuck Grassley of Iowa, Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, and John Thune of South Dakota. As the southeastern United States continues to be gripped by a shortage of gasoline due to something you thought would have been unhackable, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy had this to say about the 2020 
2020 election. I don't think anybody is questioning the legitimacy of the presidential election. I think that is all over with. Texas Congressman Chip Roy is reportedly mulling a run for House leadership and taking on New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik for the vacancy left by the ousted Liz Cheney. House Republicans yesterday introduced a bill to fire Dr. Fauci as head of the NIAID. Joe Biden and leaders from the House and Senate met in the White House yesterday, all vaccinated and all wearing masks. White House coronavirus advisor Andy Slavitt, your thoughts? Everyone in this room has been vaccinated. So why were they all wearing masks and what message does that send? Well, look, I think people who've been vaccinated are, are starting to get a little bit impatient with um, what can I do? Um, you know, can I go indoors? Can I take masks off, et cetera? Governor Mike DeWine of Ohio announced yesterday the state is holding a sweepstakes for five separate one million dollar prizes to adults who receive the COVID-19 vaccine. We have never seen anything like this and we will never see anything like it again. Meanwhile, in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is granting clemency to all criminal cases in involving COVID restrictions in his state. These things with health should be advisory. They should not be punitive. We're happy to use our constitutional authority. I think they've been treated poorly. And uh, fortunately, uh, they got a governor that cares. Checking in on the U.S. Army's recent recruiting push. This is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot missile defense systems. It begins in California with a little girl raised by two moms. After meeting with an Army recruiter, I found it, a way to prove my inner strength and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way. I'm U.S. Army Corporal Emma Malone-Lord, and I answered my calling. And finally, new ways to be racist, courtesy of the Babylon Bee. Fellas, it's time we made a comeback. Racism is hot. We practically invented it. So here's the plan. First, we'll start pushing for some a segregated drinking fountain. Actually, this might sound weird, but that's not racist anymore. Come again now. Segregation isn't racist. Can you believe that? But there are all kinds of new ways to be racist. Oh, Now, we just say all lives matter and we're racist. But all lives don't matter. I know that. You know that. But if we want to compete in this new racist landscape, we got to get with the times. What about thinking the most qualified person for a job is a person who should be hired? Big time racism. What if I ask a black person to be quiet? Racism. Even though I work at the library? Still racism. Okay, what if I ask someone who is not white where they originally came from? We got ourselves a regular David Duke over here. What about wearing a Hawaiian shirt? Hey, sis. Voicing a minority character on a hit animated TV show? <laughs> Dick Kyle. Fall in love with an African-American woman? Have a long, fruitful marriage? And you're still white in that scenario? Yes, sir. Just like Bill Burr. Racist. These ideas are A-OK. That's racist, too. What? Doing this with your hand. If you do this, you're racist. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> oh, that's... Spectacular and um, sadly all true. Yes, sadly all true. It's sadly all true. Anyone want a glass of wine after watching that? Um, if so, uh, here's how to make wine, uh, drink wine that's 10 times healthier. Down in Argentina, they make that kind of wine. Really dark red wine from Malbec grapes grown at 9,000 feet of altitude, and they have been lab tested. They contain up to 10 times the levels of longevity and the heart health nutrient known as resveratrol. Uh, that is some powerful stuff. It pops up again and again in studies about longevity, heart health, even brain health. You're going to find it here in the wines loaded uh, in the wine. 
wines of our friends over at Patriot Wine. Uh, their wines are also 90% less sugar, fewer chemicals, fewer additives. It's grilling season. If you love a good steak, red wine goes great with red meat. Uh, these wines taste great with notes of blackberry, leather, cherry, and smoke. The three of us have all tried a bottle or two of this stuff and speak very, very highly of it. Highly recommend. And right now, uh, you can go over to PatriotWine2021.com and they're giving you 50% off their best Malbecs, but also 50% off of the shipping as well. 50% off the wine and 50% off the shipping. Great foreign imported wine. Makes a great gift, maybe just for you, at PatriotWine2021.com. That's PatriotWine2021.com. In the overtime today, we're going to posit the question, have we discovered that there might actually be an adult or two working somewhere in the Biden administration? In the last 24 hours, the gas line situation was dealt with. The president came out and reasserted Israel's right to defend herself. Uh, Fauci is now advocating for the vaccinated to not have to wear masks outside pretty much like ever. And for the first time in in my lifetime that I can recall, the dreaded, wicked, evil teacher unions waved the white flag on something. That is too many coincidences for me in 24 hours. So I'm kind of thinking maybe somebody or maybe somebody who at least does some polling in the Biden administration came forward and said, hey, y'all, Jonah Hill gift. We got to pretend to govern this thing like at least a little bit, at least a little bit. We're not even 120 days in and we're partying like it's 1979 here. Okay, so we'll get into that in the overtime today for our Blaze TV subscribers. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. That's BlazeTV.com slash Dace. We will record that overtime right after today's program. You'll be able to watch it there later once it gets uploaded. And if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber and you would like to become one so you don't miss that and all of the other exclusive content we do each and every day here on Blaze TV, that's also where you can go to get a discounted subscription at blazetv.com slash dace let's get to the overtime now the the desantis thing again i mean at this point i just think the dude's just riffing now you know what i'm saying the dude's just sitting in a garage with an electric guitar it's just like watching jimmy page just on an afternoon he's bored you know so let me just you know create houses of the holy on saturday over 30 minutes you know because i i mean what else am i going to do i i mean he's he's just just checking boxes now i mean just just dude's just rolling out a greatest hits album right now he's neo at the end of the first matrix that's another great analogy out, just grabbing yes. the bullets out of the air yes pulling them out of the way it's just and you go back to last week the the hit piece that politico put out on him and the hit piece was that he won't hire gop consultants um, was that a Politico hit piece or an endorsement? Let me tell you, I, I promise you, I've known more GOP in consultants or been around more of them than almost anyone, even the biggest names of them all, almost anyone in this business has. You can tell which ones I would hire because they're still friends of mine and will actually appear on this show every now and then. Um, it's an incestuous batch of and motley crew of craven instincts and really, really runny poop level analysis. Other than that, man, I mean, I, I, you know, 
was, I, I believe it was the Romney campaign, I think hired 12 different GOP consulting firms or something like some crazy amount of consulting firms uh, had billable hours for the Romney campaign. Did they? Binders full of consultants. Yes. They, <laughs> nice. Remind me, did, did they win? No, mm. not sure. I don't know. No, no, that no, didn't. It didn't work. I will tell you when, and I don't know that I've ever thrown this in before. I think maybe I have, but if I haven't said it publicly, I'll say it now. When I was uh, doing the uh, the last temptation of Stephen uh, with, uh, with with Trump in 2015, one of the things that almost had me go, John Michael Montgomery sold Grundy County auction incident right on the spot is when I was told uh, he won't hire like a bunch of consultants. So uh, he hates them, won't listen to any of them. That almost, that almost made, I mean, I, and if I, that were only true, <laughs> if that were only true, I think it actually was true uh, until maybe we got into the White House. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, I, I was just like, okay, now you're just teasing me now, right? Like somebody just said, what do you have to say to Steve Dace to get him to come on board? Tell him this. Tell him you hate consultants because I can't freaking stand most of them. All right. So, I mean, what is what you've 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 often thought and said on our show, you've contemplated. I, I might just run for office one to see if I could just get elected. Just not oh, have, that'd be the giving, hardest part. giving yeah. zero F's. Just do that. But then number two, once I'm there, could I have could I not fall into the abyss, you know, yeah. become assimilate with the Borg, basically, right? And if you've ever wondered what would happen if somebody got control of a governor's mansion, you know, if, over the years, I've said many times, Democrats often run for office to do things. Republicans often run for office to be something. For example, who was the lead speaker at LPAC this year? Who was it? How about last year? The year before. Remember that great reset of the movement speech that Barack Obama gave at LPAC after uh, George W. Bush won a second term? And he gave that stirring, stirring speech. No more pale pastels, only bold colors. He, that great LPAC. You get, no, no, you guys don't remember that LPAC speech? What's LPAC? There is no such thing as LPAC. You know why they don't have an LPAC? Because they have a Democrat party. So Barack Obama actually did give that speech. It was the keynote speech at the 2004 Democratic National Convention. He, he gave that speech. So he governed on it. Yeah, and then he got elected on that and then governed on it. Their party is their movement. So now, there were no senators at LPAC coming out, uh, swinging around forceps up in the air? No, no, no. <laughs> it's 11.15, man. Mood. Pace yourself, okay? Um, that's twice now you've shown me up, and I'm frankly starting to like it, at least a little bit. Uh, but um, there are no Dinos. I mean, maybe there's a somebody named Dino somewhere who's elected a Democrat, but there's no... Okay, we'll go with Dinos. There's no Dinos, right? I mean, 
no dinos. Name me the Democrat key legacy figure who has come forward and said, enough with this Russian collusion stuff and these fake conspiracies. It's like a a cult of conspiracies. The truth is we we don't care. No, no, those people don't exist. No, they, they don't exist. They don't exist. And so if you've ever wondered, what's the difference between your Republican governor and Ron DeSantis? This is, I'm about to tell you right here. Ron and his wife, because she's the, she's the only consultant here, really. And that matters, by the way. Always vet the wives when you're vetting candidates. Always. No one will be more, a more important voice than she will be. Always vet the wives. Every time. And I have run into plenty of occasions. This, it, in fact, former President George W. Bush was one of these. Where the wife was a lib or a squish. If she is, the husband will be eventually too. And anybody that denies this has never been married for more than 10 minutes. The amount of men who want to go out there and wage war all day long only to come home and have to refight that exact same war in their home, that, that the amount of men that want to do that, Todd, is what? What's the number on that? Negative integers. It's a negative integers. Yeah. You want to come home and be what? Daddy conquering hero. Daddy the hero. Daddy we're proud of, right? I got to come home and fight the family. Like I got to fight out the, 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 the spirit of the age. Ain't happening. Okay. Those men ain't lasting much longer. Ain't going to happen. Unless you've already traded in your pronouns for another model. Yes. 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 So what does it look like when someone gets elected to do things rather than be somebody? This is it. This guy won by fewer than 50,000 votes. Wasn't even supposed to win his primary. The final Quinnipiac poll before the Florida governor's election had him losing by eight points. It's like the real life Dave movie. Yes. You know? It's happening. He's and the just reason, like, let's the reason, try it. That's exactly right. That's why I keep resetting these data points. Because if anybody, not to mention, how many times have you heard me say already, what's the average margin of victory in Florida the last 100 or 50 years? 2.5 points statewide in presidential elections. It's the ultimate swing state. Florida man is not just the name of a garage band anymore. It's a whole brand. And I'm here for that. Yes. If anybody, anybody had the justification to once they pulled off a shocking election win to then say, all right, guys, man, we got we lucked this one out. That's exactly the right. What, point. what, what do we have to gauge here? I mean, let, you know, let, let's not overly. We, we won by less than 50,000 votes in one of the, in the third largest state in the country. We cannot afford to inflame sections of our uh, opposition's base. We got to play this safe. You know, besides, we already the, the party already has Trump. Our base already has Trump. Let him go out there and kind of be the lightning rod. And let's just kind of just chill out here down in Florida and, and kind of see where things are at right there shouldn't be consultants to hire the rest of the country because ron should have they're all working there yes instead what's happened is dude has gone boot to throat on every issue he's gone to the mattresses on every issue he's even now looking for shibboleths just let me just jump in on town hall on newsmax you know while i'm here i'm just gonna go ahead and pardon everybody that broke a mask mandate 
It's, I mean, it's been 10 minutes. I haven't heard my enemy scream yet. I haven't heard the wailing of their women. And it's been way too long. Um, somebody give me a body count. What's next? What's tomorrow? What are we doing at 930 tomorrow? Let's just do that on you. How'd you like that one? I, I mean, it was good for me. Was it good for you? It's the reverse Oprah. You get freedom and liberty. You get yes. freedom and liberty. He's just riffing now. They're just, they're just doing stuff now because it's fun. Just, just picking fights. Now he's telling you what he thinks of Hamas and Israel. Yeah, just, why, just doing stuff I, now. I have a question about that. I saw those comments. Why, uh, why aren't reporters asking? I don't know somebody like Greg Abbott what he thinks about what's going because on. Because everybody, because ultimately, you know, we can we can deny we can we can deny gender and the laws of nature and nature's God. We all know, in our species, we all know, we all know who the alpha male in the room is every single time. We know. We know. We know. He's the alpha in the room. He is. And here's the thing. He seems totally at home and comfortable with it. Almost like I, I ran to do this stuff. That's why I did this. I, I'm, I'm doing the stuff that I, I ran for. Now contrast that. With and, and I don't know in my lifetime there has ever been a more aptly named politician than Mike DeWine. Mike DeWine is who you voted for about 99.7% of the time that you have been a Republican, whether this was your first election or your 10th or, or, or 15th or 25th. Mike DeWine is mostly who you have voted for, whether it's in Texas, Massachusetts, Michigan, doesn't matter. Most of what you voted for is Mike DeWine. They may have talked like this DeSantis guy, but most of what you got was Mike DeWine. That's why you're losing your country. There's no opposition. The only opposition is when the people are like that... Gif, you know, with the guy that I love. Of course. That's, that's when Democrats react and respond. They don't react and respond to Republicans. They don't care. They, they know they're not a threat to them. But there's been a couple of exceptions. Say whatever you want about Donald Trump. They clearly recognized either he or the base he represented was a threat. Right? Oh, yeah. We saw, we saw them alter their rules of engagement to take him on. He, right? Trump was a cheat code. Same thing you're going to see with Ron DeSantis. You're already beginning to see it. The amount of gaslighting that went on over how bad Florida was. The problem was, here's what makes DeSantis a unique challenge to them. He has Trumpian instincts, but he's actually a classically trained politician. Meaning, what I mean by that is the craftsmanship of this job. Politics is a science. It is a vocation. The nuts and bolts. How do I do this? See, Trump's a force of nature. Hand me a format like Twitter to push back on stuff and yeah, I just, you know, I'm just let him have it. Okay. Ron, Trump is, Trump's that guy that just came out of a womb throwing 99 mile an hour fastballs. DeSantis is Greg Maddox. He's a technician. Oh, there's natural talent and ability there. But it, 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 the level of craftsmanship here. He's Tom Brady. 
the level of, of craftsmanship is so high. The efficiency numbers are so high. He's almost impossible to defeat. The polling that came out yesterday, him head to head against every name Democrat in the state. Folks, he wins. He wins that state by 10 points, which is what the polling was showing yesterday. Anything close to that. Dude, four, five, six points. That's a route in Florida. Because he has winnowed the Democrats down to their crazed base. He has winnowed them down to the only people that are going to vote against him are people that just are in on the spirit of the age. They're in, they're in on it. So if you ever wondered, if you're, a, if, you're, if you're an independent in Florida and you want, man, how many of my neighbors really truly agreed with like Andrew Gillum, Charlie Crist, really believed in this stuff? You're finding out right now. The last Republican politician I saw do this was Ronald Reagan. That's, how we, that's what happened in 1984. Every, everybody that just really didn't believe in what the Democratic Party had become post-counterculture voted for him because the difference was so stark. The results were unassailable. You could not ignore them. So DeSantis was ready for them to discredit him. And he used the governor's mansion as a platform to get his own message out over the top rope of them. He's in control. He's in command. If Ron DeSantis does not get elected at this point, it will be his own fault. He cannot. They cannot beat him. They cannot. He can only lose. He could lose. Yeah, but they can't beat him. He's a pro, man. This is this is a pro. He's good at this. And, that, and he's got the right instincts on top of it. Now, you contrast that with Mike DeWine. What happened, dude? Just watched the Hunger Games last night and just thought, dude, let's, that's a great idea. <laughs> what happened is he's been Mike DeWine for the entire last year, and his people have apparently said, eh, instead of tarring and feathering him, that's what happened to Mike. That's why you think you can get away with this. He has gone from Shakespearean sonnets to COVID to now I am going to plagiarize Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. Harmeet Dillon, by the way, one of Trump's attorneys. Her tweet, what's next in Ohio? Get your tubes tied for a million. I mean, I just. Yeah. yeah. Yep. We're going to Willy Wonka the hell out of this thing. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's so, ta- it, you know what it is? It's, it's, it's nerdy. It's tacky. It's the kid in school that you, everybody we all know is not one of the cool kids, but it's just trying really, really so hard to be. Right. And so he comes up with this thing that he you know a song or something that he worked on or that he thought would make him cool and in front of the whole assembly just throws it out there and everybody it's it, dude it's napoleon dynamite man doing that dance except except in this case he can't dance so the audience doesn't applaud they are just all like what are we doing with this i i i i, I at first i thought it wasn't true when i saw this story I had to, I had to, I saw people reacting to it and I, cause you don't know nowadays with social media, right? Is it a Babylon B? If I had said yesterday, dude, Babylon B headline, Mike DeWine starting a state lottery for you to get, take a vaccine. You'd have laughed and thought, okay, that's a great headline, right? Yeah. But we know by now how many of Babylon B's prophecies have come true. Yeah. And, 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 he, and this is one they didn't even have time to prophesy. <laughs> 
<laughs> They're just too busy with the other nonsense. I'm, I got to tell you, though, maybe he's actually smart. Is it possible Mike DeWine got a look at that shot yesterday uh, in, in the White House where the highest ranking members of our federal government are all sitting together in a room? They're all vaccinated, socially distanced, and they're still wearing what? A mask. Masks. Is it possible Mike DeWine thought, guys... Hold my beer. Yeah, we're going to have to offer people money to take this thing. <laughs> is, that, is, is it possible? I don't think so. Because the, is there is there a more powerful room of anti-vaxxers than what was in, that was sitting there in the Oval Office yesterday? A bunch of people who clearly don't believe in the efficacy of their own vaccines. How about the polling numbers yesterday? It's the vaccinated that are the, the least willing to go back to any form of normalcy. They're the anti-vaxxers. They don't believe in the efficacy of their own vaccines. Is DeWine maybe actually smart here? Is he like, we're just going to have to just bribe people because otherwise, why would people take this? Is, is that possible? I'd like you to go back to your normal mode of giving him a swirly, please. <laughs> He has a very swirlyable face. You've heard punchable face right now. There's just some guys you just look at and thought, damn, I should have given that. Yeah, that guy should have been the guy swirling in the seventh in the seventh grade. Like his, his, like the world would be better off if we'd have given that guy a swirly in the seventh grade, right? He'd have known his place. Yes. He'd have realized where he's at. Would have given him some level of self awareness. Yeah, there was some, you know, biting humiliation in there, and he'd have to have some counseling or whatever. But we get on the other side of it. He'd be on. He'd he'd realize I really am not good at anything and probably should just consider a life of menial tasks and we'd all be better off right we would indeed i mean most i would say most of the men that we have elected should have been swirled sometime between the seventh and ninth grade and then they 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 realized that they probably should never have even tried something like running for office good public policy yes indeed we'll come back with more in a moment I remember last fall when one of the nation's oldest, most venerable newspapers had the drop with the goods and the receipts on Hunter Biden. Remember that? Uh, I, that doesn't ring about that story ever happened. I, I, I don't know. I mean, did it go down the memory hole as well? In fact, it, I, I, I suspect it's precisely because they had the drop. They had the receipts uh, that they had to hmm. be banned. Hmm, funny how that works. Uh, indeed. Um, and that is exactly why, uh, if you're tired of that level of censorship, uh, here's something you can do about it. Uh, the people that put together the Gosnell movie uh, a few years ago, and it, that's very well done, by the way. Uh, their new project is My Son Hunter. Uh, the movie's going to be a tell-all. Hunter's wild escapades, the contents of the laptop, shady foreign business deals, uh, even the ties to China. But of course, uh, Hollywood does not want to see a film like this get made uh, about uh, their own uh, political cartel. Therefore, they've got to get the funding directly from people like us. So your gift of $10, $50, or $100 uh, or more, if you have that kind of uh, cachet, will help expose the most corrupt family in politics since, I don't know, the last one. Uh, and the donation is 100% tax deductible as well. If you want to learn more about the film or donate, go to MySonHunterMovie.com Again, that's MySonHunterMovie.com Of course, that newspaper in question was the New York Post. Its op-ed page editor, Sorab Amari, has a brand new book out. 
uh, called The Unbroken Thread, Discovering the Wisdom of Tradition in an Age of Chaos. And we welcome him to the program. So, Rob, it's a pleasure to have you with us. You need to know my uh, my assistant, Booker Todd, who's here with me, is a massive fanboy. Uh, you got on my radar a couple of years ago because he kept bringing you up and saying, hey, hey, this guy says what you say on the air all the time, except he's saying it like right to David French in those people's faces. All right. And so it's a pleasure to have you with us. How are you? I'm good, Steve. Thank you for having me. And hello to Todd. Um, I know him and uh, appreciate him very much. So let's start with a big picture question. It sounds to me like you're asserting in this book the answers to the future are actually found in the past. Is that fair? Absolutely. So this is a book I wrote for my son, Max. He was two years old when I started writing it. He's now four years old. And the reason I wrote it is, frankly, as a father, I'm really worried about the kind of world that um, uh, he's going to he's going to inherit and the kind of man that our contemporary civilization will chisel out of him. And so and, and the worry lies in this, that um, it, our world trains elites to be incredibly self-serving and self-gratifying and selfish. And meanwhile, makes it incredibly difficult for ordinary Americans to live just decent, virtuous lives. And all of it is uh, sold to us without us often having a vote about it, but it's sold to us as a promise of liberation. If we just get rid of the traditions of the past, um, our Judeo-Christian inheritance, our classical and Greco-Roman inheritance, and also just our kind of local communities and traditions that we have there, then we will be free. And the argument of the book is that, in fact, the demolition of those um, traditions has made us less free, has made us less happy, and frankly, kind of has driven us insane. So to give one example that's very obvious is the traditional account of um, sex as an immutable thing, that men and women are fundamentally different in some ways, complementary but different, and that the sex barrier ultimately cannot be crossed. Gender is, and sex is an immutable fact about what it means to be human. The demolition of that as sold as, was sold as liberation. You get to say who you are interiorly and, and, and assert your gender freedom. In practice, obviously, we now know it means this kind of um, uh, 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 pronoun repression, and everyone has to recognize that sex is immutable, as is mutable, that you can change your sex, and you fail, if you fail to recognize that, you're banished from um, polite society and drummed out of the public square. Um, so these are all the examples in the book. There are many others where something that looked like a traditional restraint in fact turned out to be a source of liberation, and that in order to be able to leap into the future, you have to know where you are coming from. You have to have this sense of ordered continuity, and that's what traditions are. They provide ordered continuity so that you can confidently walk into the future rather than sway to these whatever the latest trend and, and um, ideological uh, nonsense is. Mm. There's a lot of, you know, we use the word progressivism a lot these days, and there's a lot of different kinds of progressivism. Teddy Roosevelt, for example, uh, called himself a progressive at the time. So I want to put a finer point on this terminology along the lines of what you just articulated. I, on our show, we refer to it as spirit of the age progressivism, meaning that this this is really the, the, the full intent here is to introduce a new metaphysical 
spiritual understanding of Western civilization. And that this sort of progressivism is really not progressive in any way, shape, or form. It's really regressive. It's it, that really its intent um, is to return Western civilization or what we used to call Christendom, what we call, you know, parochially in our country, American exceptionalism, uh, to return Western civilization to a pre-Christian understanding of, of the world. The, to Essentially, there's more in common, uh, they have more in common with the Druids uh, than the disciples, for example. And that's where, why a lot of these old markers that you're talking about that were laid down in history, that we had to learn the hard way, our forefathers did, that the laws of nature and nature's God, you break them too often, they break you. And so this is the way that the creation was made, and we have to live in um, in acknowledgement of that, or what you know, Jefferson writes, self-evident truths, that we have to acknowledge these things. Even the atheist Ayn Rand believed in forms of objectivism that were revealed in nature, for example. And what the spirit of the age does with things like postmodernism, it, it, it says it says nice things like there's no such thing as absolute truth, it's all relative. It doesn't really mean it. That really the, 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 the purpose of these things is to disarm the pre-existing truth that collectively holds sway in the culture with the intent of replacing it with a new one. It doesn't intend for there to be constant chaos. It intends for it to be the new thing that everybody collectively serves and worship. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think that if the past two years made anything clear is that the ideal of neutrality, which is what this kind of uh, progressivism initially uses to try to uh, infiltrate societies is that let's just be neutral as between worldviews, mm-hmm. uh, as between Christ and Satan, if you will. And, and, uh, just, you know, Satan has his rights and, and Christ should have his rights and that's fine. Um, in reality, the, the way that it works out is that there is no such thing as neutrality. Every, because human beings are religious animals, we will always enshrine some God some idol in the public square, some altar on the public square. And the only question is which one? What we're learning is that uh, progressivism will not stop once it's swept away the old authorities, um, uh, you know, the West's uh, historic religious authorities and so forth. Once it's swept them away, it's not going to then just say, well, now everyone gets to choose. It has a, um, a vision of what it means to be human. It's a very twisted vision. As you said, it's at war with nature. Um, even the, uh, the pagan Romans and pagan Greeks, although they didn't have the benefit of, of revelation, of, of Judeo-Christian revelation, they knew some things about nature as na- nature is an orderly thing. Mm-hmm. Creation is orderly. They don't even have this. It's purely like human will, whatever we want to impose. That's what they want to get at. And so what I've argued beyond this book in the public square is that there is no neutrality. One worldview or another will be enshrined. You cannot either, it's true that men and women are the only two sexes, or we have 157 genders. One of those is true. And so the idea that, well, we can kind of coexist, you can't, they won't let you. I think what you just laid out, and we've been following this trend on our show as well, so Rob, what you just laid out is why you're seeing, you know, my new pen pal right now is Naomi Wolf. I mean, I'm just, I'm blown away by that, frankly. Okay. Um, you see, Bill Maher, 
there's been plenty of weeks recently that the Sarab Omaris and Steve Daces of the world could have done the closing rant, maybe a little more PG-13 in terms of the language, but could have done the closing rant on Bill Maher's show, The Atheist. I've, I've, I've pointed out to our audience over the years, Andrew Sullivan's Twitter feed about half the time, the grandfather of gay intellectualism in America. Half the time, his Twitter feed looks like stuff that the guy who puts the fun in fundamentalism, me, I would tweet. And I think what's happened here is there were a lot of people that were quote unquote liberals. And, and I define liberals as people that want to let go, that want government to let you do the stuff that God says is dumb and immoral. Leftists are people who want government to make you do those things. And I think there's a lot of people that were liberals that were like, hey, my conscience says because I'm same sex attracted, I should be able to change morality. My conscience says because I'm an atheist, I should be able to change philosophy. My conscience says because I'm a feminist, I should be able to change certain notions of gender uh, studies and, and gender normalcies. And, and, and they thought that this was really going to be a choice. And then what happened is the pigs took over the farmer's house, so Rob, and realized, you know, four legs are still good, man, but two legs be even better. And they're like, those are our planes now. Those are our institutions now. Those are our cops now. Yeah. Okay. And so we, we you know, on the second thought, we don't want to let you have a choice. Catcher in the Rye. We loved making the kids read that book in the 60s and stuff when we wanted to create contrarianism against the establishment that we weren't in favor of. But now that we're the establishment, we don't want any of that contrarian thinking going on at all. Those things have got to go. And I think now some of these old liberals are caught in the maelstrom of this, not knowing what to do there there i mean you've got bill maher basically begging hollywood to stop making so many self-loathing films naomi wolf yesterday tweeted that ron DeSantis should get a nobel prize they're losing their andrew sullivan's losing his mind against gender dysphoria they don't know what to do when they figured out oh wait they were never going to give us a choice ever that was never the intent the choice was never the intent it was just to make you choose what they wanted instead so um, I'm, I want to focus in or hone in on one keyword that you use there, um, and I'm, you're so right to bring it up, is the question of conscience. The version of conscience that those heterodox liberals advanced was ultimately a false notion of conscience. In my book, one of the people I, I profile in one of the chapters, in fact, the ch- title of the chapter is, Should You Think for Yourself? And the figure that I focus on is um, John Henry Newman, who was this great cardinal uh, in the 19th century. And he took on the idea, precisely that vision of Bill Maher idea of conscience, which is, um, you know, one person's conscience might say that um, abortion is right. And one person's conscience might say that abortion is wrong. And no one can say for sure which of the two consciences is in the right. John Henry Newman said, that's not conscience. That's a counterfeit of conscience. That's the right of self-will. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the kind of liberal It's Pelagian, now, basically, is what is what we're describing, is a Pelagian yeah, kind of an instinct. It, yeah, It's also subjectivism, the mm-hmm. idea that for the, as he put it, in the 18th centuries prior to the rise of liberalism, um, when they people, when traditional people said conscience, they meant that conscience as the the interior voice of some objective morality, the, the divine law, the natural law, which you heard in, as a kind of compass inside you that said, don't do that, do this. That was the conscience. It was not the idea that 
any you can pick up any belief and there's no you know you have a freedom of conscience to satanism you have a freedom of conscience to um, mm-hmm. euthanize your old parents or to to terminate life in the uh, you know the unborn life that wasn't conscious and so i argue that those heterodox liberals that you're talking about bill maher andrew sullivan um they will go one of two ways either they will ultimately this is a long shot view but either they will come to our side and and support objective moral truth and the sort of substantive moral vision that's in, embodied in the term tradition or they're going to sub- they're going to have to submit to progressivism. Mm-hmm. In other words, that that sit, that yeah, the center won't hold. Position, yes, that middle position is untenable. There's yep. no vibe media. There's no middle way. It, it's because for decades they debated people like you and I about how far, as you just articulated, how far am I allowed as a human being? How much will do I have to take my own conscience to where I want it to go? The spirit of the age is now saying because we at least as Christians agree you have some right to form a conscience. It just needs to be governed by something. The spirit of the age is now coming along and saying, oh no 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 you don't even get to form your own conscience you don't get to think for yourself you don't get to read for yourself you don't get to have any of your own opinions at all and now these people that push the bounds of their own of how far their conscience can go uh, the rubber band effect on that the reverbs a motherless goat brother they're finding out oh wait this thing doesn't snap back all right we got about two minutes i want you to take that time what is it about your book that we didn't discuss that our audience needs to know yeah, it's also it's a it's a book of twelve unasked questions. I I want to guide my sons um, and my daughter to the goods secured by tradition, those unchanging ideals. But the way I do it is not through me banging my drum and saying go back to tradition, but to ask twelve unasked questions. Like for example, is God reasonable? Why would God want you to take a day off? Should you think for yourself? Is sex a private matter? In all these cases, um, I challenge one aspect of these kind of um, current certainties that we have and offer an alternative, but I offer it through the life and thinking of one great thinker, Augustine, uh, Seneca, the Roman philosopher, uh, Confucius on the question of filiality, how to serve your parents. And each one is very story driven. So it's a book that is a book of philosophy and theology. But because I'm a storyteller, it ultimately you get a very good introduction to some of the greatest minds um, of, of, of uh, you know, not just Western, but even some Eastern civilizations. But you get it in a very kind of narrative driven and comfortable way. It's as though, you know, we're just chatting to each other and I'm, and I'm telling the reader a story about great ideas and the men and women who made them. It's way over the way overdue getting you on our show. We would definitely love to do it again. Uh, Todd, I think is, uh, frothing, uh, over here. So it's been a pleasure. So Rob, very, um, the work that you did over the, the, uh, the pre COVID a uh, couple of years, pre COVID in pushing the tactical argument, uh, on conservatism onto a national stage way overdue. Uh, that was the Lord's work. Uh, so on behalf of people like me, thank you for doing that. And we'd love to have you back sometime. All right. Thank you, Steve. You bet. Name of the book, The Unbroken Thread, Discovering the Wisdom of Tradition in an Age of Chaos. So Rob Omari, he is the op-ed page editor over at the New York Post. Are you satisfied now, Erzin? It's a start. I loved it. Uh, 
he's fantastic. He's a gentle soul, but when he writes, my goodness, can he, can he cut in fellowship and in truth? And I love his talk about conscience. The beginning, of, he's Catholic, a Catholic convert, but the beginning of the Catholic catechism, before it goes into all of the details, it starts off with exactly that. What is a rightly ordered conscience? Conscience isn't just a thing that is noble mm-hmm. in and of itself. It must be rightly ordered. And if not, you get the worst sorts of chaos. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that, and it's something you've repeated as well, there's going to be a God in the social uh, square. There's going to be a God, there's going to be an altar, and there's going to be a sacrifice. It's just dependent on who is the God. Yep. Every government ever has been a theocracy. We're only debating who the Theo is. That's right. Theology Thursday coming your way to lead off hour two next. Hour two, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you are very happy. Todd Erzin, he has been waiting, I don't know, about two and a half years for that conversation and interview to take place. This is this is your version of the Snyder Cut, right? That I, I, I needed that. My soul needed cleansed. It it needed, I, I needed to know, I need, and I needed the affirmation to know it was capable of doing in a, a movie, a, a, a movie doing, pardon the pun, justice uh, to these characters that were such a huge part of my childhood growing up, right? And so this to you, what this was a connection our show and so Rob Omari you have been clamoring to, to make this connection happen we finally got it done last hour well we all have those moments we hearken back to uh, columns we've read movie scenes we, or where we were when we saw a certain game the stuff that's just locked in and one of the mo- most profound columns I've ever read in terms of just the, the, is when he wrote about David French and it was it, it just perfectly put the face on the issue mm-hmm. and, and then and David French actually had not really become in Sufferable not yet at that no, time, but it's still it was so, so brilliant. And how, he was on the road to getting there, but yeah. he had not arrived at that destination. But in yet. order to take yeah. the the ethereal, the purely theoretical out of it, you often just have to put a name, a time, and a place on it. And he so perfectly did it with David French, who is not some minor player. It mm-hmm. was the major mover and shaker, and continues to be in the broader conservative movement. He just nailed it as well as anybody I've ever seen before. I, I was also struck by how many commonalities of themes of 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 observation and uh that existed i mean he he re he in his own way and more eloquently um repeated the mantra that you've heard on our show for years and we just repeated it again before the break that every government every culture has been a theocracy it's just a matter of who the theo is and you saw him reassert that in a in a more eloquent way himself and that was just one of several intersecting moments i thought between what he does through the new york post and his new book and what we do here on our show well as i mentioned he and i are both catholic but he's a convert he's originally from iran Mm -hmm. and that's why i think you two are actually kindred spirits along the the theo notion i mean look at your past what you come from Mm -hmm. that level of disorder posing as order and Mm -hmm. then what he has and then coming to ultimately the christian truth in your own time in your own way and how you never forget where you came from to understand the gift and the blessing of what you've what, been what given. The, what the stakes were really playing That's for That's why here. I think you yeah. two were so well at riffing off. You did such a good job of riffing and that, off. That, that now, I think, is, an, is a fascinating 
backdrop of, of the specific confrontations between him and French. Because I've said, you guys have heard me say, we've talked about French privately, and I used to have a lot of, first of all, I still have a high regard for his intellect. I liked him personally for several years. He was on our show several times. He was one of my favorite writers. It's gotten to the point it's so ins- insufferable, and, and 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 I find it so insufferable that it would be such a distraction for me. I just had to mute him from my social media accounts, otherwise I would just waste time I can never get back, you know, ripping a spleen in response to how insufferable this is, right? As you know, I've done the opposite. <laughs> yes, I know you've taken the opposite. <laughs> okay. But I have to make sure you get paid. You don't have to make sure I get I paid. Gotcha. So you want me muting David French, Fair so you point. can still get paid. Fair okay, point. but um, um, you know, one of my hypotheses with David has always been that this guy is a man of valor. Um, he has served in the military two different occasions. The second one, he was already what I think into his thirties with a family when he went back and reenlisted to go was it to Iraq or Afghanistan? So. Yes. And I, I think he got a look at what true sectarian division of a culture really does on a granular level, how it disintegrates. And I think his entire fear is any impulse he sees emerging on the right that will rise to the level of what has already arisen on the left. I think he views it as his personal mission to try to stomp that out. Even if the impulse is absolute truth. Yes, yes, yeah. And that's why he's constantly seen as trying to, It's he's the equivalent of the wife who doesn't trust her husband when he confronts someone in public. And so she jumps into the situation and takes the other guy's side so that he won't overreact. That, that, that's I, I think what I see from so Rob is a guy who also saw what happens when sectarian divis, divisions yes. melt literally melt a culture apart and said that's exactly why when you start seeing many ayatollahs emerge crush them don't let them gain a foothold don't give them legitimacy because that's they're the they're the instigator the provoker of this sectarian granular decomposition they're the decomposing agents they're the they're the chloroform in the room the minute you spot that put it down he quoted from augustine or he cited augustine one of my favorite augustine quotes there are many there are many sheep without but many wolves within all right. And so, so Rob sees that instinct and he's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta crush that, that before it gets any momentum. Do not let that gain a foothold in your culture at all, or it is gone. Right. He basically said Thunderdome. Two yes. Two men enter, one man leave. One and or so the other. one guy goes to war in the region of the world. So Rob is from one guy goes to war, sees what this does on a granular level and says, I, I'm just, I'm so afraid of that happening to my country that he now is actually stymieing his own value system, which by extension, therefore, allows the other one to flourish all the more. The other guy who grew up in that part of the world sees it, grew up with it every single day. It's internal to him, not an external thing he witnessed. It's internal. He lived this. 
And he's like, I wish in 1980, 1981, someone would have put this down in the ground because my country has suffered for the last 40 years uh, because we didn't do that. And I'll be damned if I come to America, see the exact same kind of instincts, take foothold here. And I've got a platform like the New York Post. Maybe it, I'm, I'm putting it down with every ounce of vigor I have because I lived through what happens when you don't. They're, they're the yin and yang response here, can use another religious expression, of, of, of the same, really the same stimuli. They just had the opposite response to it. I, that's my own theory. I could be wrong. Well, no, and everything you just said, why it's so important to crush and mock drag queen story hour as a blessing of liberty, as a price of freedom. Because people come to his defense from the so-called conservative side, oh, that's just a fringe thing he said. It's a, No, it's become his whole center of being. It defines his ethos on everything. And if you don't understand that, you're not paying attention. What French, I think, is really telling you in some respects is that he doesn't believe his worldview can win. Yeah. That's really what he's telling you. Is that he doesn't, he's, he's not sure it can win, and so he's afraid of the cost of the fight. And I think, you know, you've, over the years I've, I've pointed out that I don't know someone who grew up in a good home could have, could have done with their career, by God's grace, I've been able to do. Because the temptation to assume good things about people. And then, it's so it's okay to conform to them because they're good people. To, tribalize, to tribalistically align because they're good. Okay? Right. When you come home every day and, and, the, and the figure in your home that's supposed to be Bob Seger's like a rock. Instead, on a given day, you don't know if he's the great Santini. You don't know if he's Hugh Beaumont. You don't know if he's your buddy. You don't know if he's a bully. Every day, every day, growing up with Dave Dace, you didn't know. Over the course of my childhood, he was all of those things. He was a fantastic father at times. And then he, frankly, was a documentary of, of, of predators that we, make, that we make about predators during others. And, and, and you didn't, and, and it would be also be something if I said something or that I knew would set him off. You never knew. You just never knew. I mean, it could be absolutely anything whatsoever. I remember once my dad, Dave tried to get a perm in the 80s. And, you know, the guy grew up acid rocker in the 70s, tried getting with the 80s, got a perm. And he came home and he knew it wasn't right and was kind of kidding with himself and stuff. I was nine or 10 years old. And, you know, my mom's joking with him and stuff. And so I threw in a joke or something. And th th everything was fun until I threw in a joke. He then turned around and beat the living piss out of me right then and there. I wish I could tell you what would instigate him because then I would avoid it, right? It, it could be anything. It, it could be anything. When you grow up like that and then you make a lot of the mistakes in your life that I have made and yet you still get to the place in life where by God's grace I've been permitted to get, and from my vantage point, you guys have known me now for a long time. Count the amount of times you've heard me say, I really think we should play it safe. No. No. I, I'm, I'm all in almost every hand. I, I don't, I'm not afraid of losing because from my perspective, I'm playing with house money. Every, every day I come in here and the mic goes hot, I'm playing with house money every day, every single day. And because I know what happens when we play defense. I lived that. It's called my childhood. I lived it myself. He saw it in his own culture. So Rob did. And to me, either we believe the stone was rolled away on the third day, or we don't. Either we believe the last enemy, death, has been defeated, or we do not.
Either Jesus is Lord of all, either all power on heaven and earth has been granted to him, or it has not. There's not a degree of negotiation here. These things are true or they are not. So if they are, whom shall I fear then, ultimately? And I think what, what, what the French types are really telling you, and that's not accounting for some of them just don't believe what they claim to believe. I don't believe that's the case with David. I've seen him, I've, he, even to this day, will still take morally righteous positions on issues. I really think in the end, he's not confident that his belief system can win. And that's why the wife steps in when her husband starts confronting someone who's offending him because I don't believe you can win or I don't believe you can control yourself, which is another form of a loss. I think that's really the driving impulse here. And I think you're right. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Look for Steve Dace on MeWe, Gab, and maybe one day Parlor ever returns. Uh, YouTube.com slash Steve Dace is where you can get clips of the program as well as Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. And if you are a podcast listener, thank you so very much. We have, that's one of the largest audiences we have. Uh, please, uh, if you haven't done so yet, hit the subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review because the more of those that do that, the more it helps the podcast to grow. That's especially true for our iTunes listeners because that's the largest podcast network, I think, in the world. So thanks to all of you that have done those things for us already. Bottom of the hour, we'll do three non-political questions, but let's get to Theology Thursday brought to you by ScoreMaster. And you know, they're the new credit science that will help you super boost your credit score and not by just a few points. In fact, the average ScoreMaster user can raise their score about 60 points in 20 days or less. That makes a big difference. And first of all, can you get approved for that home business auto loan that you're looking for? But then secondly, even if you can get approved, uh, that makes a big difference in the terms of that loan, the interest rate that you get as well. Not to mention a lot more employers are looking at credit scores these days too. So go to ScoreMaster and find out this is how it works. They put all that information that the banks and lenders have on you. They put it in your hands where it belongs, but also in a way that's easy for you to understand, right? Credit card companies and everybody else now will let you go online and get your credit score all the time. You need to know why do you have that score? ScoreMaster will show you specifically, here's why you have the score you have, and then will also specifically help you to get to the score that you want. Enroll in minutes, see how many plus points uh, that ScoreMaster can add to your credit score at scoremaster.com slash Steve. That's scoremaster.com slash Steve. All right, for Theology Thursday this week, we kind of actually just did some Theology yes, Thursday in a way that your faith will inform your tactics, ultimately. That if you don't believe, for example, in a sovereign God, you'll put way too much faith in a political party and then keep bending and contorting your conscience and your credibility into, into continued justifications for that. You know, like, uh, let me elect mental illness for governor of California, for example. That's Time that, to ask yourself, yeah, Dr. Jones. Yeah, what do you believe? That, that You're really saying, I, I, you know what? A sovereign God just can't save America unless I vote for somebody who's obviously beyond broken with chronic mental illness. Think about that for just a moment, please. That's what you're saying. That's really what you're saying. Okay. So your, your faith will inform your tactics, ultimately. What tactics you adopt, what institutions you choose to align with or not, it really are a faith statement. Here's why. 
your faith is the foundation of your belief system. And by the way, what I'm about to say, every human being on earth who has ever lived and lives now, when they're of sound mind and body, this is how they think. This is how we're wired. This is where this is the this is the equation of human ethics. So get ready. Your faith is the foundation of your beliefs. Your beliefs will then dictate your behaviors, reactions, and responses in any given situation. And then those behaviors, reactions, and responses will then testify to the people around you what truly is your faith. That circle I just articulated, that is how the human psyche processes ethical dilemmas, quandaries, challenges, through all time, in all peoples, in all customs, in all languages, forever. And thus, the conscience is formed, rightly or wrongly. Yes. The only debate will be what we plug into each of those things. But the metric itself, the metric itself, when we are not broken, and I've got struggles with mental illness in my own family. My wife has has clinical bipolar, for example. So but so when we are not broken mentally, when our mental health is not imperiled, now when that happens, obviously it needs treatment, right? But when that's not the case, all of us process ethics that way. All of us do. All of us make decisions that way. It's just a matter of what we plug into each of those metrics. But that metric in and of itself is a blueprint. That's how we were created by the architect of the cosmos. We were created that way. Your faith is the foundation of your beliefs. Your beliefs will then dictate your behaviors, responses, and, um, and, and reactions and situations. And then your behaviors, responses, and reactions. This is why if we do something stupid as Christians... And the world, even the world, even the unbelieving world around us knows it. They will usually respond with what to us? I didn't think a Christian would do something like that or say now nowadays they do it when you actually do Christian stuff. Like when you when you say to Simon Bar Jesus the sorcerer, you're a son of the devil. Well, I didn't think Christians talk like that. Well, that's actually right in the Bible, Nimrod. Okay. Right? So now now we nowadays we're so far gone as a culture that when we actually do I've had plenty of Christians over the years call me a Pharisee for meticulously advocating for what the Bible suggests on a topic. I'm like, no, no, sweetie. The Pharisee is the one who says, I got this. I don't need the word of God. Okay? The Pharisee is not the one who upholds the word of God. The Pharisee is the one who's like, I think this thing really needs my spin on it. (laughs) You have it backwards. Okay? A Pharisee isn't an attitude. It's a belief. And by the way, the Pharisees were originally great. Traced their lineage back to Ezra. Helped bring the faith back to Israel after the wall was rebuilt and rededicated. So, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Pharisees. There were plenty of Pharisees that actually believed Yeshua was Messiah. So, because you don't like someone's attitude doesn't mean that they're not Christ-like. I'm sure everybody thought, wow, this guy, this, this carpenter's kid who just came in here and started turning over our money changers, what a sweetheart. I think they thought that. Yeah. No? No. I bet you that I bet you the Sanhedrin we looked at him and said, blind guides. 
I'm stood there, looked at him, and then thought, ah, man, you know, you, you know what, dude? It's really not what you're saying, but how you say it. I'm sure that's yeah, what they no. were thinking. I'm back. I'm banking my whole path to heaven on what you just said about attitude <laughs> versus getting into heaven. Yes. So our tactics are what inform. Our, our faith is what informs our tactics. Now, somewhere along the line, because we don't live, and, and this is where there has to be some room for conscience. But as so Rob said last hour, you're, you're, if your conscience says, my conscience says I should slap my kids around more. Is that good? No, don't follow your conscience. Should we just blindly follow our conscience? I used a term Pelagian. What does that mean? It's it's a it's a he was a, a, a false teacher in history, Pelagius. The first time I knew I wanted to get Josh Halley on this show is when he dropped Pelagius in a press release. I'm like, remember I said that to you? Yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't know who this dude is in Missouri. We've got to get this guy on. We're making Pelagian references in a press release as a senator. I want to know more about this guy. Okay. But essentially, Pelagius is what So Rob Amari described last hour. That in and of myself, as a human being, my self-will is complete enough that I can make all my own moral calculations. And in fact, I can, shall we say, progress within myself all the more to be an even better person, an even better human. Does that instinct sound familiar? Yeah. Right, we have any of that spirit going on in our culture today? Just a touch. Yes. Pelagius was so bad, Luther and Erasmus, both after in between trying to kill each other, looked at that guy and said, burn him. That's a heretic. Get him out. Okay, that's how bad that was. Even both those guys, in between trying to rip each other's spleens out, were like, get rid of that dude. He's terrible. All right? Now back to killing each other. Okay? So, all of these dilemmas we face... At some point, we have to allow for, for conscience because we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a fallen creation. So where is the line with that? Boy, we've done so many conversations and talks about that over the years. Here's a, here's a meta theme I've noticed. God is very pragmatic in dealing with human nature zealously principled when it comes though to his word and his ways meaning that he's not overly picky thankfully about the vehicle because he understands we're all sinful pious people have horrible moral failings people that have horrible moral failings sometimes rise up Winston Churchill was considered a Cretan by British upper crust society, and he frankly kind of was. He then saved all their sorry keisters too, okay? I got to tell you right now, man, it got so bad with Trump's persona, I had to mute him on Twitter just so I wouldn't be exposed to it. I wouldn't give one of my body parts, but I'd give one of Mike DeWine's right now for Trump to be in the White House, okay? My life, our lives would be a lot better on multiple levels right now if that were true. No way of denying that. This is why vehicles that are, if the vehicle is willing to do God's will, even if it comes with dents and flaws, he'll use it. We'll see. What about Bruce Jenner? First of all, you called him Caitlin, so already you lost the argument. But secondly, what part of, I don't know what my gender is, and I don't know what a border is, I don't know what an election is, because now, now the election wasn't stolen. I mean, exactly what issue is Bruce Jenner with me on? Do you know? 
No. 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 He's not with me on anything. If he was earnestly attempting to be with us on something, then we'd have a real debate about this, right? Sure. Sure. Then we'd have a real debate. But I knew all along. I had no, I had no problem going zero gravity on Bruce Jenner day one because I knew all along. The minute, Aaron, you said to me, go to their website, there aren't any issues, there's just a donate yeah. button. Oh, come on, man. I didn't, I wasn't born yesterday, all right? He, this was a scam. This has been a scam all along. He clearly doesn't know what one plus one is, but you want me to do calculus. Yes, with him. there was no. So I knew right away. I didn't think it would happen like 48 hours later. I thought he'd be smart enough to play this out. I thought Brad Parscale, known grifter, would be at least smart enough to say, I got to cash some checks before we the jig is up. Dude, they couldn't even get to the weekend, okay? But this thing was always a scam from the very outset. So there was never any point that we would have to have a serious dilemma about, I don't know, can somebody who's clearly mentally ill, clearly mentally ill, to the point of self-mutilation, actually be a champion for what anything we believe. We're not going to have that conversation here because he's not. It's a scam. But one of the patterns you see in the scriptures is that God is very pragmatic about the human vehicle he will utilize. Think God was, was God unaware Samson had a rewards card and it was like, it's like when Norm walked into cheer, Samson, whenever he showed up at the, at the Canaanite whorehouse um, or the Philistine whorehouse, it was God unaware of that. No, the, the opposite, it, it, it was God like, well, I have no idea what Samson is doing every day from one to five or who for that matter. I'm just, can, can guys follow Samson around? I'm really not omnipotent. And I, I don't know what he's doing all day. Think he was unaware of that. No. And yet when Samson walked out of the whorehouse, what did God allow him to do? Great and mighty things, right? Yes. Okay. So the vehicle, the human vehicle, God is very pragmatic about. But on his principles, they're un, he's unwielding, unbending. Period. There's, that's a, that is a zero gravity game. Meaning that no matter what flaw you bring to the table, may bring to the table now, will bring to the table tomorrow, or brought to the table yesterday. If you are really sold out, that's what you know, Paul talks about being a living sacrifice. If you're sold out, you know, these guys will tell you, and if you've had me come and speak publicly to a group, you know, before every show, I go to the, I go into the bathroom to get prayed up before we do a show. I go to speak to a group. I go find the corner stall in the men's room, get prayed up beforehand. I'll tell you one thing I pray every time before every show, before every time I talk. Lord, help me to be a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to you. Meaning despite all, that's right out of the New Testament. Meaning despite the flaws and blemishes I bring to the table, of which they are considerable. I am yours and you are mine. You are the vine. I am the branch. If I remain in you, despite those flaws and blemishes, I can produce much fruit. But apart from you, I can do nothing. Because you're the one doing it in me and through me. Now that should be, that scares a lot of us. And I don't understand why. I've never understood why do we want to accept the pressure of putting more of this on ourselves? Have you ever looked at it that way? It kind of sounds silly when we do, doesn't it? Like, wow, why am I putting all this pressure on myself? Don't. That's what, hey, if you want a religion that puts a lot of pressure on you, that's what all the other religions do. <laughs> You've got plenty of options, all right? 
the way that God, I think, deals with us. Let me give you a word, a, 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 a parable. There was, there was once a master potter. And there was this one particular broken pot of clay that he just put on the wheel and he worked with and worked with and worked with and worked with and worked with. And it was so shattered. It was so broken. It was so cracked that no matter how long and how meticulously he applied all of his craftsmanship to it, every time he put it back together, you just could not avoid noticing. It could make it seamless again. That's how shattered it had been. You couldn't notice. You couldn't help but notice the lines. So he put it in the window. No one wanted to buy it. It looked like it was, you know, broken. One day he came up with an idea. He put the thing back on the window, did the back on the wheel, did it again, did the best he could. But then he took a candle and he lit the candle and he put it inside of the pot. And then he put it in the front window. And as people walked by, now suddenly they are drawn to it. They can't avoid looking at it because they no longer see the places where it was once broken. Because now the light from that candle is shining through those rough edges. They're drawn to the light. That is all of us. Anybody in this audience who claims that when the master potter put your life back up on the wheel, all the shattered pieces of it, all the brokenness of it, and, he, and you were the one he could put back perfectly, first of all, you're beginning with the premise that it was perfect once. Was it ever perfect? No. No. So can you take something that was previously broken and repair it to perfect? No. No. But can you make it different? Yes. Yeah. Amen to that. You can make it different. And it's that difference. One of the wor- one of the definitions of holy is set apart. It's that difference that sets it apart from everything else. Dare to be different. Dare to be different. Dare to let God make you different. More in a moment. Hey, what if I told you that you can improve your health, boost energy while supporting a healthy heart as well, and do that in just less than two minutes a day? You can with Field of Greens. It's unlike other superfoods because it uses real USDA organic fruits and vegetables that are packed with antioxidants that support heart health, metabolism, blood pressure, digestion, which means it's also pre and probiotic. It's great for everyone in the family. Uh, It's the first thing I drink every single morning to get my system going as well. Uh, It contains 18 clinically researched essential fruits and vegetables. Uh, So you're going to get more in one drink uh, of the good stuff than the average American gets in a day, if sadly not longer. 
It's the easiest thing to help you keep living a healthier life or start doing so. Just mix it in with any water-based drink and you're good to go. They've got lots of different flavors. I'm trying the new lemon lime right now. It's really good. So if you want to give it a shot, go to BrickHouseSteve.com right now. Again, use the promo code Steve to get a special offer, 15% off your first order. 15% off your first order when you go to BrickHouseSteve.com and use the promo code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. It is time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? A question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on The Steve Day Show. I suppose now would be a good time for me to think of some questions for this segment. Do you think that would be good timing? What's your Mount Rushmore of Mount Rushmores? That's a good idea. What's your Mount? No. Yeah. Uh, what's your? Uh, what's the most disgusting thing you've ever eaten in its entirety? Like you weren't like, oh, this is disgusting. I'm done with it. But you kept eating it for whatever reason. And what's the most delicious thing you've ever made for yourself? In your single days. There's no way in Steve's adult life that he ever did eat something. Well, you said time. maybe yeah, as a kid. I, I, I can't, not no. even to be polite There's to no somebody. Because, Todd, what do I have? Problems. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I just, what do I uniquely can have? Just, can we pause the there? The palate of just, a 12-year-old thank boy? You. Yes, How, yes. Like, so you ask him, so what's the first, uh, what's the first uh, three words of the U.S. Constitution? What do I have? Problems. <laughs> yeah. They didn't think that one through. Instant reaction. Yes. I, I can I can actually come up with one answer to this. Mm. And my mom, God bless her. You guys know I love my mama. Yeah. Okay. But she was frustrated with me and my, well, I, when, I, when I was three or four or five or six, it wasn't the palate of a 12-year-old because I wasn't 12 years old yet. It was the palate of a five or six-year-old. But I, I would like eat nothing other than meat, cereal, sweets, I mean, along with, you know, candy canes and candy corn. Those are the food groups, right? And my mom loved canned spinach. And, you know, try to get me to watch Popeye eats a spinach and everything else. And I, I, I would smell it. And I'm like, I, I, I can't eat this, Mama. I can't do it. It makes me sick. She's like, no, you are going to eat that spinach. I did. I threw it up all over the table and was never... Nah, it was never demanded that I eat that spinach ever again. No one, and no one wanted to face that. Ever I'm again. Steve Dace. I will find a win in any situation. Yes, yes, even at that age. Yes, that was a painful win, <laughs> uh, but it was a win nevertheless. Um, the best thing I ever made myself when I was single. Um, again, because I'm a bit of a mama's boy. My mom taught me how to cook fairly well, so, um, and I still make it now. Uh, you know what though Dave actually taught me how to make really good French toast so I make really good French toast I still make it now every now and then and then Cavatelli I learned from my mom and I make a really good Cavatelli as well so is that even part how did we end up in 
good things. Yeah, that was part of the question. That was part of the question. Oh, the thing you've ever made. Yeah. Best thing you've ever made for yourself as a single. The person. Catholic oh. just heard shame. Yes. Yeah. And, and just decided I'm just. Com- he, he stopped there and, and parked the car there. It, yeah. The, the part at the end where we get to stop confessing, he just was. Let, that part of the question oh. was lost on him. Just last night, I made a mean <laughs> fettuccine alfredo. There we go. I did. That's good stuff. It was. It's and it's it's quite easy, uh, but it was good. Uh, I think. Uh, I probably in the past uh, I remember having to politely assuming potential cultural offense some Indian food oh I, dude I cannot I can't do curry at all uh, yeah I'm, I well I can't it's even nothing, the smell you haven't de- you know your whole tracked things that you now I just I, I do not curry does not and I love I can't digest spicy it. food oh, I love yep. I mean but I just I, I curry I don't like it on my palate. when we were first married I loved tuna casserole when I was a kid oh, okay now we're going old school comfort right. I still I still eat, like I still eat crispy tuna onions yes and yes and so when we first got married Amy found a tuna casserole recipe uh, from got one from her mom, and it was for it was a curry tuna casserole, right? Really? Yeah. And so I've got a uh, I'm eating this stuff, and I was also like you know, well into th- the three bills at that time. So I mean, I ate a ton of this, and um, I've got to go work at the register on the sports desk that night. So get done eating, I'm like, all right, head out to the car. So I'm walking out to the car. Doom. Doom. Doom, doom. You know that sound, you know, in your stomach? Man, I mean, I took off running. No, but I know that sound in your stomach now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting in the bathroom. I'm like, calling the, I'm calling her. I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late to work. All right, man. That's the one and only time I ever, ever ate curry tuna. I volunteered once at WHO Radio. They used to do this thing called Taste of Des Moines, where, you know, like this cooking thing and different tastes and stuff. We'd have like a festival downtown. I, I thought it'd be a nice corporate citizen to volunteer. And they took advantage of it by putting me next to the curry Indian food tent. Oh, dude. No, I, I can't do that stuff on any level. No. No. Yeah, you think of curry as spicy mainly, but it's also it can be really, really rich. So that kind right. of, kind of makes sense, Todd. Um, I, I think for me, this is going to be kind of disgusting. I, I I don't like mushy green beans. I generally don't like green beans to begin with. That's like the one food aversion uh, that I've had my entire life. But probably the worst thing that I ate, and it was more of an accident in its entirety, uh, when I was in college. I would get um, one semester in particular. Um, I, I had a, an internship every day at like 530. And so I just had to keep a really regimented schedule. I do the internship it, uh, and then I had class at like 730, something like that. Uh, it, was, it was on campus, too. Um, so I do my internship, go get some breakfast from the cafeteria, come back to, and go to class. And I got breakfast one morning and they had they always had sausage. But one one day a week, it was like turkey sausage or something, which I don't like, but I don't mind either. But this day, the turkey sausage must have gone bad. And, and the links were small enough that I was I was in a hurry. I was eating really fast. I still eat fast now. Um, I, I, I ate them. I put the whole turkey sausage uh, in my mouth, started chewing it up swallowed it and then i realized that went bad or something because that was like that was not meat that was not any form of food that i've ever (laughs) been familiar with that was not right that was like rotten something rotten um and then the best thing i ever made i I made this repeatedly when i i mean 
my buddy Jeff and I would like make these five, six pound grilled uh, hamburgers where we would just wrap a ball of bacon and cheese within Come on now. within within hamburger. But that was that was every like I think we did that one maybe two or three times. Uh, the thing that I would make is just like gluten free pasta and uh, cheese sauce and hot uh, Jimmy Dean's sausage. I mean that I I would eat that a lot when I was single. Um, question now I eat a lot better because Bella is a really good cook. Uh, question two: What's on your Mount Rushmore of most rewatchable standalone movies? So it cannot be a part of a franchise. Okay. Oh, standalone movies. Yeah, oh so man. So it can't be Lord of the Rings. Can't be Marvel. Can't be any of the Marvel movies. Okay. Idiocracy. Um. Oh, there's uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, that's on mine. There is a river runs through it. Oh, that's an absolute classic of mine. Uh, uh, Feel the Dreams. There's tons. I've got tons. On I'm going to say list. Idiocracy and Office Space. I'm going to give those two. Mike Judge. There you go. The Natural um, would be on that list. Um, it's my favorite sports movie of all time. And um, The Wizard of Oz. So you got two on there, Todd. Shawshank. Well, how many Fielder, do you need? Four. four. Oh, I, I, oh, I gave you three. Uh, Shawshank, A River Runs Through It, uh, Feel the Dreams, and uh, how about uh, Saving Private Ryan? There you go. Uh, for me, it's Shawshank Redemption. That's on my list. Uh, Forrest Gump. I love Forrest Gump. I'm sorry. It's a great sorry. movie. Yeah, sorry. it's a great movie. Uh, American Sniper, not because necessarily I look forward to it, but it is a, it's it's good on a second, third viewing. Uh, so that's three. And then um, the, the f- fourth one I had, I just had it on the tip of my tongue, and now I'm forgetting it. Uh, the fourth one, um, I would say... Um, uh, Anchorman is actually re- pretty rewatchable. Don't watch oh. it every year. Anchorman is I can't, the first Anchorman. I got to take Saving Private Ryan. It's uh, that's not a stretch or anything, but I can't Hoosiers. And oh, that's there you go. probably of the four. I mean, I, my goodness, I'll, I will watch him say, watch Jimmy Chitwood say, "I'll make it" over and over and over again. Uh, question number three: If you went home today and found out that a Nigerian prince really had given you five million dollars. <laughs> What's the first thing you do? And then what's the second thing you do? Uh, the first thing I do is pay off as much debt as I possibly could for my loved ones. And the second thing I would do is make sure I had a lavish, but not, you know, obscenely so, but lavish by our family standards uh, wedding funds set aside for both of my daughters those are the first two things that I would do I would uh, get my wife her dream home and that would not be mansion or anything like that but just like the if she could have done it her own way and you know and um, you know Design it. That's uh, 
you know, she likes watching home shows and stuff like that. Uh, so it's nothing grandiose, but something that she could just, uh, play with. Yeah, I like that. That idea would be a it. Lot. And then secondly, I would find I would I, it would be always cool to, like the Make a Wish Foundation to find that local circumstance. And again, I don't think it would take insane amounts of money, but enough money that people don't have on their own to just make like that some sort of impossible dream happen to somebody who deserves it. I would also pay off. I mean, I think that goes without saying pay off debt. Okay. First thing I do. Second thing I would do is I would start construction probably somewhere out in Colorado. Start construction on a version of District 13. Not that I would move there right away. But hey, as many people as possible, I would like to have something when this all goes to pot. Um before the rapture comes because the, you know the rapture end times whatever tribulation comes what I, that's that you cannot control but if this thing goes to pot before the end of days comes um it'd be kind of nice to have somewhere underground that i could accommodate as many people as possible so that's that's what i would do i mean i, I use my imagination much more on that question than you guys did this Just is what say. this is why they have the prepper section in the store Aaron mcintyre <laughs> All right, is that it? That's it. All right, guys, uh, what do you think? Thoughts on today's program? We got this is rare. We have a, a couple of extra minutes. We're not down to a, a minute and a half. We got three and a half minutes. So by all means, indulge yourselves. I mean, what would what, you learn today? Well, you know, the, so Rob, his his basic premise, and again, using stories throughout history, throughout cultures. He, he he mentioned Confucius, extending beyond Western civilization, but going into the timeless. I mean, my Catholic faith, and, and so Rob's, uh, teaches that outside of Judeo-Christianity, it's not bereft of truth, not at, not at all. And I, 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 I don't have any reason to believe that Steve and Aaron uh, would, would say, ult, uh, say otherwise. I mean, uh, you know, ultimately, yes, there was something lacking but we were created it romans one speaks to this we cannot know on some level some fundamental truths and those are the ones we seem to deny the hardest these days that's the trick of victories going forward reclaiming that territory the fundamentals the closed fist truths as steve often talks about yeah it we are we are in a tension of uh, repeatedly as as human beings in this tension of there are new forms or maybe new different colored leotards of threats to our way of life on the one hand that aren't really new but they just have a, a different skin a different pair of clothes on new forms that they take we're in this is this tension between that and the knowledge or at least at least the um, acknowledgement, I should say, that the people of past generations, there was a reason why most of the things they did, they actually did. We cannot fundamentally, and I think this this goes down to um, something that I've been surrounded with a, a lot, uh, especially growing up in, in, in college and beginning my career, this notion that you mentioned previously, Steve, I think at the top of the, the last segment, this idea that we who hold on to a Judeo-Christian view of the world, our worldview cannot win, cannot win. There's not enough support for, for what we believe. Um, that is something that is something that is um, pervasive. But if you 
uh, if you if you cling to the old paths, the old roads, if you will, and I'm not saying in an IFB type of way, if you cling to those or at least acknowledge those, um, I, I think you're going to find that there's actually a lot more support, a lot more things you can do within culture and have a lot of support for if you just acknowledge that there is a there is a reason why things were done the way they were by previous generations. And and I think going and tying this back to the beginning of the show, Ron DeSantis right now in Florida is proof of that, Mm -hmm. that you can actually win by affirmatively governing on your sated belief system. The left wants to release criminals from prison because of a because of a virus. Ron DeSantis is forgiving criminals who trespass who uh, broke covid restrictions Okay, those are those are things that we're talking about here. Affirmatively governing on your stated belief system. If it's conservative and if it's Judeo-Christian in nature, can be successful. That'll do it for today's show. We're back at it again tomorrow, noon to two Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.